Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thank you for joining us uh, on American Potential. And, you know, one of the great things that I think Americans for Prosperity does, and of course, American Potential is a project of Americans for Prosperity, but one of the things that we like to do and the purpose for which we exist is to help remove barriers, particularly government-imposed barriers. And, you know, we like to talk a lot on this podcast about removing barriers. And I'll tell you one area that seems to have a lot of barriers is healthcare. You know, you hear a lot about a public option. And we, we, we hear that a lot of times and people think that, you know, gosh, if only government got in, they could make it better for the little guy. And well, that all sounds good. But in reality, that's not the case. And public versus personal option, which one of those sounds better to you? Well, you know, with a, with a public option, an individual is given a very limited list of doctors that they can see, procedures that they can have. And some would argue that, uh, you know, that isn't correct and that a public option covers more people and that it's great and that it lowers prices. But what's really the truth about that? And the personal option is something that I want to talk about today. And the personal option puts you as an individual in the driver's seat of your own health care. It lets you own your health care. And that's what's so great about it. And it lets you pick and choose how you want to use your health care, what doctors you want to see. And it basically gives you the freedom to choose that instead of having the government decide for you. And on today's podcast, I'm proud to be joined by Americans for Prosperity Senior Policy Fellow, Dean Clancy. And uh, Dean's going to help explain a little bit more about the difference between a public option and a personal option. Dean, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. So, first of all, I, I wanted to, you, okay, I, I, we, we've talked about this, and I know we know each other and have talked a little bit, but I found this out about you. you. Like, you lived in Colorado when you were younger, but you now live in Florida. That's quite a change in climate. But it says here that when a cold front comes through, you get warnings about falling iguanas so i have to i have to know more about that before we get into the health <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh in florida we 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 have uh, falling iguanas they, they if it gets below a certain temperature uh i want to say about 50 degrees they just uh, get paralyzed and if they're like up in trees they just you know they, they can't move and they fall out of the tree <laughs> okay. so so what's the closest an iguana has ever come to hitting hitting you dean i i've never never been in danger you've never <laughs> do you mean we don't need a government program to protect you from falling iguanas <laughs> you're capable of doing that yourself I, I think so well you know i think our health benefits um <laughs> at our company are so good that uh, it would cover you know head injuries it would cover it i'd like falling to see reptiles but wouldn't you like to see the bureaucrats at the health insurance company getting that one come across their desk? Oh, he was hit by a falling iguana. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no doubt that there is an insurance uh, computer code for that very diagnosis. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Hey, here's the other question I have to ask you. No relation or is there some relation to Tom Clancy, the novelist? 
Well, I wish. You wish. I could use the royalties. (laughs) But no, 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 no relation. All right. All right. Well, I've always wanted to ask you that, Dean. So I figured, what the heck, why not do it right here so everybody else can hear the answer to? So, um, okay. You're an expert on healthcare and, and we will get into, uh, you know, some of your background and you've, you've just got an, a tremendous background in healthcare, but I want to talk about how we got where we are now in our current healthcare system. I mean, that's important to know, you know, people, healthcare always seems to bubble up to the top of people's concerns when it comes to, you know, when they go vote, when they, when they talk to their neighbors and friends, but we've gotten here through, through a lot of different machinations of government and government kind of interfering in the marketplace. And so take a, take a minute or two and tell us about how we got to where we are now in healthcare. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, healthcare today is very complicated and, and uh, bureaucratic, and there's a lot of frustrations and problems. We know that from our, our polling that we do at Americans for Prosperity uh, of, of voters about healthcare. Uh, but it wasn't always that way. You know, you go back to the 19th century, healthcare was still very simple, the doctor-patient relationship. There were no insurance companies, no government health benefit programs. There, there was just healthcare. And, uh, you know, how did people pay for it? Well, sometimes if they couldn't afford it, they would, you know, pay in kind. You know, they'd give the doctor a chicken or something, or, right. or the doctor would just tear up his bill. He would just give his services for free. And uh, it was, a, in some ways, a much simpler, better, and more humane system. But, of course, medicine was very basic back then. In the 20th century, as, as medicine has become more compl- complex and people have wanted financial protection from uh, high medical bills, you've had a move towards uh, the insurance model. In World War II, there were wage and price controls imposed by the government. And as a result, workers couldn't get wage increases, so they basically pressured the government to let them have more benefits, including group health benefits, which today we just think of as workplace health insurance. And the government said, okay. And as a result, you began uh, to see lots of Americans get their health uh, benefits coverage through the workplace. And today, half of the population does it that way. And um, and then the government decided to, to just provide health benefits itself through programs like Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. And then uh, Obamacare came along, the Affordable Care Act subsidies in 2010. And so you've had a transformation over the past 100, 120 years uh, towards relying on insurance and government insurance, third-party payment for health care, which you never had before. And one of the downsides of that has been the cost of health care has soared and continues uh, to soar. That's that's an overview of the history. Yeah, so you've used, I've heard you use before, a, a grocery store analogy to explain how our healthcare system is set up now. And, and I'd love to have you share that right now if you can. Oh, sure. The, um, you know, if we paid for our, our groceries the way we pay for healthcare today, it would look something like this. Uh, when you went to the grocery store, um, before you even went into the store, somebody would stop you and say, now, is this grocery store in your food plan network? <laughs> you know, is it a covered grocery store? And, um, you know, assuming that it was, then you, you would go in. But before you uh, could go in, they would say, um, 
Uh, by the way, you should just know there's no prices on any of the shelves. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll send you a bill after the fact. And, um, uh, you know, it might be for more than you thought or less than you thought, but uh, we're not going to tell you the price. And then, by the way, shelves uh, in the first three aisles, the upper shelves, that's our formulary, our tiers. You, you're going to pay extra for those goods because we think they're uh, very expensive and we want to make sure you don't use too much. And then aisle six through nine, that requires prior authorization. You need to ask us for permission to buy anything in those aisles. We'll decide whether your, your food counselor, your food uh, provider, uh, advisor, is right in thinking you should have that food. And by the way, last thing is next year, this grocery store will not be in your health plan network. Have a nice day. <laughs> and that's such a great example. I, I, you know, I'd never, I'd never heard that before I heard you talk about this. And that is such a great example to, to show how messed up our system is. So, so in order to improve healthcare, don't we have to get to a system that's more like our current grocery store system where I can choose to go into Walmart and shop, or I could go to Target and shop, or I could go to wherever I choose to shop. Isn't, isn't that really how we fix this? Absolutely. No, you put your finger right on it. That, and that's what a personal option means. It right. means a healthcare system that's less like, you know, the Department of Motor Vehicles or some crazy bureaucratic scheme and more like shopping online or going to Walmart. In fact, in our polling, we find when we ask people, what would you like healthcare to be like? That's what they say. They say like shopping online. They want the convenience. They want the prices. They want to be in charge. They want to have choice and uh, control. So a personal option, the way we put it is, uh, the goal is to give you, the patient, the choice and control you want with the quality you deserve at prices you can afford from the medical professionals you trust. And ultimately, this whole debate about public versus personal option is about trust. Who do you trust with your, your health care, the, the, the government or your own doctor or a big health insurance company or your own doctor? And the, the, the grocery store analogy that I just used is really a product of the fact that, uh, for the most part, we over rely on health insurance companies and third parties who don't know us personally and don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. So uh, yes, it's about turning the patient into the customer. Right now in American healthcare, the patient is not the customer. The patient is the product. The real customers in American healthcare, unfortunately, are large insurance companies, hospital corporations, pharmaceutical manufacturers, uh, device makers, employers, you know, all these sort of large entities uh, who are negotiating with each other. There is a market but it's not the patient at the center of that market. It's the patient doesn't control the dollars. And so that's why you get the crazy system that I was describing. And, and that's what we want to change. But, but Dean, it, there's so many people that will say, that's, that's great, Dean. But, you know, unless I have the government there to protect me, that, that big insurance company, they're going to take it to me. Or, you know, I, I, there's going to be people who won't make the right choice, Dean, out there with, with their mm -hmm. health care. So I need to decide for them or government needs to be there to protect those people, to protect the little guy. And I, I mean, that's how we've come up with what is currently the public option, right? Is that there's that 
sort of thinking out there that we got to protect the little guy against the evil insurance company yeah. or against the evil doctor. So, so how do you counter that? And how, I mean, that's not really reality what's happening. Everybody's paying for this system that we have now. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we counter that argument. Well, it's a perfectly good question. And I actually get asked it all the time. And the answer is people who say that are not entirely wrong, but maybe they're overemphasizing the need for government involvement. We do think, I think everybody thinks that we need safety nets. We need, and I mean government safety nets. We need to make sure that people have access to care, even if they don't have an ability to pay for it at the moment, uh, because that's just what decent people do. But that doesn't mean you have to have a complete government takeover of the whole system. The government doesn't have to, you know, build and staff all the hospitals, for example. Um, the government can provide more basic safety nets that ensure that those who can't afford to pay for necessary care get the care anyway. I think we're all willing to contribute in that way. But that's a much more, you know, limited thing than a complete government takeover. So it's really a matter of degree. And uh, yes, we do. By the way, in this country, we do ensure that people get access to care. It's a fragmented system and in, in many ways an expensive and complicated system. But there's a federal law that says if you have a serious condition and you show up at the hospital emergency room, they must uh, screen and stabilize you regardless of your ability to pay. And what that means is they have to look at you. They can't just put you on the sidewalk. They have to make sure you stop bleeding or you know anything life-threatening is dealt with. And they don't worry about whether you can pay for it. And that's a decent policy. That's a good policy. And then, of course, we have all these government programs that are designed to make sure you have access to health care. Those programs are poorly designed. They don't work very well. There's a lot of reform needed. But that's another expression of our society's desire to make sure people do get access to the care they need when they need it. So a personal option is not about some, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, indiv rugged individualism, you know, basically, if you get sick, it's your problem. Uh, it's, it's more nuanced than that. So, you know, I think the problem in healthcare that, that one of the political problems that, that folks like you and I have faced in, in this debate is that we have never done a real good job of offering up a solution other than we're opposed to more government interference in the marketplace. But that's really what the personal option is, right? Is, is this alternative plan to, to what we have and to more government intervention in the marketplace. So go tell us what, the, what do you mean when you say personal option? What does that mean from a policy standpoint? Well, you're absolutely right. It is a positive vision. It's not just trying to sort of prevent the expansion of government in healthcare. Uh, it's about giving people more options so that market forces can play a greater role in healthcare instead of monopolies. It's about the patient being in charge instead of bureaucrats. And it's about uh, making what we call first-party payment dominant rather than third-party payment. What that means is, in other words, you, the patient, are paying directly rather than relying on insurance. Now, we, we need insurance, and as I said, we need safety nets. But it's the over-reliance that causes the problems. So how do we get there with the personal option? We give people more choices. We give them the freedom, for example, to tailor their insurance benefits to what they need. You've seen those commercials, uh, Liberty Mutual, buy only what you need. Mm -hmm. That's how insurance 
used to work in healthcare. It still works that way in automobile and homeowners and fire insurance, but it doesn't in healthcare anymore. Let's go back to that and let people buy only what they need, tailor the benefits. And then, you know, you don't have to pay for all the bells and whistles if you don't think you're going uh, to need them. And, um, and so it's more choices. It's really the personal option you can think of as two basic ideas. One is uh, empower consumers, you know, patients as consumers. So it's the patient controlling the dollars, not some third party. And the second is remove barriers between patients and care. So you get cut out the red tape, cut out the, the hassle factor, let prices be transparent, and uh, let consumers shop for value just like they do in every other market. That's the, the vision of the personal option. And what's nice about it, it doesn't have to be uh, partisan or polarizing because it's just small changes that I think most people would agree are common sense. And as you remove these barriers, it, it, imp- it improves people's lives. Li- people's lives get better. The, the problem we have, I think, a, in healthcare right now with, with government sort of control or controlling or being the largest influencer in healthcare in, in, uh, in our economy it is that when you do that, it's sort of a one size fits all, you know, the government treats us all, um, you know, kind of equally in that process. And it may not be what one person needs. It, it may be totally different. And so that's really what you're talking about. So tell us about how, if we make these changes and you touched on this, but if, if we make these changes, in, in our healthcare system, how does that make people's lives better? Well, you're right. Healthcare is personal. That's why people need a personal option and not a one-size-fits-all or top-down approach. And uh, how does it make people's lives better? Well, it means you get access to the care you need when you need it. And um, for example, you know, in my own life, I've got a couple of loved ones with uh, chronic medical conditions. I have a diabetic uh, child. My wife has autoimmune disorders that cause her pain and, and difficulties, and uh, she rego- they rely on medications. And um, we have to navigate our current complicated, frustrating healthcare system. And we find it's not very customer friendly. The, ex- the costs are high. There's delays. We have to spend a lot of time on the phone. My wife must spend several hours every week on the phone with insurance companies and, and caregivers and so on. If we had a more flexible market-oriented system, and if we had more control, um, there would be better customer service. You know, you wouldn't have to uh, wait on hold so much. For example, here where I live in Florida, specialists typically are only open three days a week, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Hmm. I don't know what they're doing. I guess they're golfing or windsurfing on (laughs) Friday through Monday or something, but it's it's because market forces aren't working. It's not about the patient. Right. You know, the pa- it's sort of like, well, you got a problem on Friday. Well, call us on Tuesday and, and we'll see if we can help. And, um, and a personal option means, you know what, they'll take your call on Friday. They'll take your call on Saturday or Sunday even. Right. If it's, you know, because it's market driven. It's market driven. What happens, what happens if one of those days when they're not there and an iguana falls on your head? I mean, <laughs> exactly. what are you going to do? That is a major risk around you. <laughs> it is a major risk uh, down there. Okay, so you, you gave the example of your family. And, you know, my son is diabetic as well. He's type 1 di- diabetic. Uh, and I, I think this does give such options to uh, people who do have chronic medical conditions. A lot of times they're just stuck in with everybody else. And they may need different specialized. They do need different specialized health care. But do you have any 
couple of stories or examples maybe you've heard from people uh, as well who, you know, because they had a more individualized plan, you know, either their life was saved or they got much better care. Well, um, I would say in general, there's a lot of stories like that. Um, I'll draw on my own experience again. Uh, once my wife uh, thought she had maybe a hairline fracture, fracture in her, her arm, and she was in pain, and uh, she tried to, uh, you know, get into a, get an MRI, uh, an image, you know, to see if it was fractured. And um, the, the, the insurer was, and the, the doctors who are, in effect, working for the insurer were like, well, maybe we'll get to you, uh, you know, six weeks from now. She's like, well, I'm in pain today, you know. So she ended up having to call around, and sure enough, she found somebody who was able to to see her that day. And what that means is, it's possible in our system, think because it's not completely monopolized by just one entity, the government. Mm-hmm. It's possible to get the care you need when you need it, and it was a, at a reasonable price. By the way, with things like that, you can shop around. You'll find huge variations in price because the market isn't functioning very well. But you can find affordable options if more people had, uh, uh, you know, sort of basic insurance rather than this bulked-up Obamacare-style insurance, and they also had tax-free health savings accounts and uh, what I called, uh, you know, a direct pr- primary care. Uh, subscription, which is, and that's a whole subject unto itself, uh, where basically you've already arranged with doctors to uh, to have access to them. You're paying for the privilege of access to them uh, on a monthly basis, like a Netflix subscription. If you had those three things at the same time, uh, I guarantee you, you wouldn't see the, the, the hassle that my wife uh, faced initially when she was looking around. Uh, for an MRI, the, the basically she would be treated uh, like a customer. I call it a three, a triple layer cake, a three layer cake of tax free health savings, direct access to doctors without an insurance company middleman, and a good basic insurance policy that covers you for the really expensive things, but doesn't try to just cover everything. I mean, a problem with our insurance system is we imagine auto insurance if we use the insurance to pay for routine oil changes. It would make no sense. The, the oil changes would become much more expensive, and there would be all this hassle and red tape about getting your oil changed. We need to go to a model of health insurance that's more like automobile or homeowners insurance. Yes. Yeah, so, so if if somebody were to go right now to personaloption.com, that's the website personaloption.com. There are nine different ways. Uh, on that website that folks can change healthcare. I'd love to have you talk about a few of the things that people can do to take action to help us get to a personal option. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we do need people to get involved. You'd be amazed how many policymakers, lawmakers, politicians actually don't understand our healthcare system and they don't understand understand the red tape and rules that the government has piled up over the decades. And uh, they're, they're, they need to be educated. And so we need to educate them. And, uh, but uh, on the website that you mentioned, we do um, list reforms, specific reforms. And I'll just tick some of those off. Uh, one, let's make sure everybody can pay and save for health care tax-free with a health savings account. 
And this is a topic that deserves its own podcast, uh, but the short version is with an HSA, a health savings account, you can use pre-tax dollars to pay for out-of-pocket health expenses, which means your health dollar goes farther. It's like a 10 to 40% discount on every medical purchase. Plus you're in charge, you're making the decisions, you have more control over your care. Right now only about one in 10 Americans has an HSA or can have an HSA because of federal barriers. We wanna remove those so everybody can have a health savings account. That's number one. Another is, and I mentioned this earlier, direct primary care. Let's let everybody have access directly to doctors where they pay the doctors, say, on a monthly subscription basis, or it could be on a per visit basis, but you don't, you don't need the insurance company involved. My line is primary care doesn't need to be insured because it's, you know, it's basic and it's usually relatively inexpensive. So let's let everybody have access to that. And by the way, it's a big movement right now to move towards direct payment for healthcare. And the results are wonderful. People are very happy with it. But as I say, we should talk more about that. And then there's reducing prescription drug prices uh, so that uh, people have access to cures at a more affordable price. There's all kinds of changes that need to be done to our patent laws, uh, to the uh, the drug clearance and approval process in Washington, basically to end these kind of monopolies the government is granting to the drug companies and to get more competition, more generic drugs. Uh, because when you have competition in that market, prices are significantly lower. And um, we also do need to make sure we don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. We need innovation in drugs. And that's why the recent law that was passed uh, in 2022 to impose government price controls on prescription drugs was absolutely the wrong way to go. We're already seeing uh, promising cures being shut down by drug companies because they know they can't recoup their costs now that the government has imposed price controls. So that's prescription drugs. And then, you know, on the, the side of, uh, of uh, removing barriers, it's things like um, letting doctors and nurses practice to the full scope of their authority. Letting nurses, for example, uh, practice in rural areas without having to be within so many miles of a physician or having to pay a physician for the privilege of practicing, which is a very common policy throughout the country. You remove that barrier and then you get more affordable health care, especially in those remote rural places that we call that scope of practice reform. Then there's something called certificate of need. That's uh, these laws that basically say you can't add a new hospital bed or build a new hospital wing or add an MRI machine unless you get approval from a government board. And often that government board is controlled by the incumbent hospitals and they get to decide whether there's a comp new competitor in the market. That's certificate of need repeal. We need to do that. And uh, telehealth, that's, I'll mention this last, uh, telehealth is something we all experienced during the pandemic. It turns out it saves lives and money. Uh, we did a study on this with the Progressive Policy Institute where we showed that that in fact is what happens. People use the emergency room less, they spread infections less. It's just better healthcare, especially for people with depression and mental illness. It's kind of opened up a new opportunity to treat people with men mental illness, telehealth I'm talking about. And so let's remove barriers to that. All of this added together, and there's a lot more that we could talk about, that's a personal option in healthcare. And I think you'll agree, none of the changes I've talked about threatens anybody's existing benefits or takes anything away from anybody. It's just giving you more, which is what people want.
Yeah, well, that and, and that's such a great description of the reforms that that we're talking about. It's all these things that that we can do, and it's it's incredible the regulation that's already in health in the healthcare industry. It's amazing. One other thing you can do, by the way, at uh, personaloption.com is you can sign a letter to policymakers asking them to take action and to enact a personal option. And, and you can, you can go right to personaloption.com and you can sign the letter to your member of Congress uh, and to your elected officials. I just did that. Uh, actually, while we're recording the podcast, I did that Dean. So <laughs> that's how easy it is. Uh, if I can do it, I mean, anybody can do it, Dean. Um, and there's no iguanas falling on my head in the studio. So anyway, okay. Well, listen, Dean, thanks for joining us on this topic. And again, uh, go, people can go to personaloption.com. I would say this, if, if you're listening and you'd like to get connected to an Americans for Prosperity state chapter or, 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 or your region, and you want to make a difference in your community, you can email me at jeff at americanpotential.com. That's jeff at americanpotential.com. And we'll get you connected. I promise. We'll pass that along and get you to the right people. Now, to stay up to date with the American Potential Podcast, you can subscribe to our channel and you can like us on Facebook. You can like us on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow us on Instagram as well. All right. This was, this is, some of these reforms really are empowering people across the country. And we've got to remove these barriers that are out there. Some of them are state laws. Some are federal laws, but all of these barriers should be removed. And it's in your power to make sure that your elected officials hear from you and that you work to get those laws changed. Thanks again for listening to this episode of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.